Hello, welcome to the XX Mormon podcast. I am conducting as Heavenly Mother on this fine Sabbath day. Presiding, we have our first ordained sister, Mary Magdalene, and we have a guest speaker today who is from the Patriarchal Council from the days of Noah. Biblical, we have Methuselah who will be joining us. Welcome, Methuselah, with our silent Mormon stairs. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I truly wait. feel at home. <laughs> so welcome. So welcome. Silently. So welcome. Um, so today's topic is the pandemic failure. So basically what the church could have done to kind of save itself and then how it didn't. And then also like for me, the pandemic was like the final, I don't know, awakening, the final gas pedal on the moving car down a hill. So, yeah, chime in, Methuselah and Mary Magdalene with your priesthood powers. With stone on this wall. Methuselah should go first because he has the priesthood grip. The patriarchal <laughs> grip. <laughs> who's the thing who's that presiding? we don't have because uh, she's Because she was the oh, first but, vagina. Sister. Hey, before we start, <laughs> do you want to know a random very useful bit of uh historical knowledge do you oh, know no. why people presiding receive the sacrament first because it's oppression because they have to <laughs> you just have to tell so, us so, so so when when the uh when the sacrament was restored by joseph smith everyone would drink out of the same glass that's very gross. originally so in order to avoid indirect kisses um you know Area the person presiding them. right got to got to drink from the clean glass first that's gross and how germs are spread so the pandemic <laughs> so, no, well, no, no 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 we no and the church stopped after the 1920 flu epidemic oh god well that, that that's that caused them out. to use separate stuff so no, it, this this is kind of on topic right <laughs> yeah, so it's like Sir, don't derail this train. Are you working on because we've been because the church has been here before, right? Kind of. Um, we don't yeah. we don't remember this, but like, yeah, there was a big there was a big uh, worldwide pandemic a hundred years ago, um, and after that pandemic, we saw actual changes into some of the ordinances, mostly the sacrament, whereas before right. we would share from the same cup. They decided to, you know, change to uh, maybe we should have separate glass. There's, it was a big deal back in the day. There was a big pushback between the liberal fac faction that embraced science and the conservative one that wanted to maintain the purity of the ordinance that Joseph restored. But yeah, ew, ew. I mean, that makes sense. That checks out. But also, I feel like church history, from a practical point, is never shared with the members. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's never. They didn't oh want to no! Tell no, they stuff. Well, and that's <clears throat> this. This is all. I mean, this is it's also part of the course too, right? But uh, there's a lot of paradox, a lot of contradictory ideas that, as members, you're just kind of expected to just put on your shoulder, right? And one is that, like, oh no, the church is constantly changing, but like, oh, but also it's always the same, right? And so, in order to maintain both of those ideas at once you kind of you kind of are forced to gaslight right that's fair like that's true but all these germy things 
What really kills me is that like general conference at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh no! <laughs> what about like, no, let, uh... me finish, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. When Russell Nelson, Doctor Nelson, was like, "We didn't see this coming." <laughs> well, if you if you remember if you remember the conference that happened like right after the pandemic, like really became a worldwide phenomenon. It became painfully obvious that everyone had written their talks six months ahead of time and got hard locked into it. Do you remember that? I do remember that. There was like one or two talks that acknowledged the fact that like, yes, we are in a global health crisis. Everyone else just acted as if, you know, like. It was, yeah. I remember one distinctly was about like temple attendance. Or just something like totally irrelevant. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas like our tumbles are closed, girl. Like, inside. But that that is true. I didn't even think I felt like they were out of touch, but I think you're right. They did write them uh, months and months and months in advance. Oh God. My mind should do anything to add or a presiding sister. I'm gonna wait till we like get into the dirt of it. You know, how they didn't see and prophesy, and they paid, they put investments in pharmaceutical and all of that. So let's, I'll start, I'll start by in the place where I think you, where we were talking earlier that I think you wanted me to start, which is basically that. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the sad part is that, like, what's really ha- disappointing, um, and I remember at this point for me personally, I was doing the Pimo thing. Yeah. Uh, what I was expecting was that, hey, here we have this global organization that has a very rigid hierarchical structure with a very clear line of command, but one that, like, is effective you know like if the elders quorum sends out an emergency blast to make sure that everyone contacts their own teaching families whatnot right like that can get done right um and in some places where there is uh local tragedies right like uh hurricane katrina or something right like texas got called in to go help out those people next door right um so what i was expecting was I was expecting like, oh, we're going to have broadcast, you know, like like a regularly broadcast thing from church headquarters, right? There's no reason. They have all the media infrastructure. They have a YouTube channel, right? We're going to get a monthly devotional just making sure that everyone's okay, right? Um, we're going to have, we're going to have elder quorums presidents that are going to make sure to stay on top of like, making sure all their families have toilet papers, right? Like, <laughs> we have, like, what a wonderful system we have in place to just make sure that everyone's taken care of in a time when, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, right? Bishop Storehouse can be definitely, like, booted online to make sure that no one, people who lose their jobs, you know, are taken care of. And I was, uh, I was, like, I, I, I didn't have, you know, I had issues with, church leadership before then but it was really disappointing to see how much of like none of that materialized right oh my god completely and, and i no, i'm sorry let me cut you off you go so, and, and what i mean by that is like it's not even that 
hard. Like the infrastructure's in place. It was just, it was really disappointing. Um, and I know a lot of, and I know a lot of members were really disappointed too. You know, like there was kind of a overall sense. Um, and uh, anyway, anyway. <laughs> like the um, bare minimum, like you said, would have been like, hey, everyone, does everyone in our congregation have toilet paper? I mean, maybe small groups did that. Like maybe there's exceptions. Like well, I can only speak for our stake did absolutely yeah. nothing for anyone. But well, see, right. that's, maybe that did happen. So that's what I mean. And this is kind of a pattern. Um, and it's one that I get frustrated with. But the shift was all on local leadership. All of it. Pandemic response, 100% got pushed to local leadership. Right. I mean, and we're talking like bishops are like hand-rigging their cell phones. Like they enlist a teacher to hold the phone for uh, the person giving a talk so that they can stream it, you know, on uh, on Zoom or whatever, right? Like the bishops had no support at all, even though like, you know, hey, this is a, this is a multi-billion dollar church that has av resources it has av resources in the community like none of those tech guys were tapped you know for their stuff unless local leadership was aware enough to do it the local leadership didn't get any kind of support from up above and it kind of made me wonder you know like with the hurricane uh in texas that we saw um over in houston right the houston uh, hurricane it makes me wonder, like, oh, that must have been local leadership that took the initiative to really totally, yeah. After Harvey, shuffle the stuff around. I mean, that's why, like, my testimony remained for so long is because I lived in areas like Houston and oh. Dallas, and where they the church competes with other mega churches and other types of Christianity who really step up, who really give a lot, who really do a lot, and the members are so generous and they're kind of rogue and they do their own thing. But I don't think that that's a fair representation for, like, the majority of the church. It's like, shout out to the Texans who are awesome. But, like, they're not the vast majority. Yeah, they're the exception, unfortunately. I would agree. I would agree with that. I would agree with that completely. So it's completely dependent. Like, Mary Magdalene has used this expression before, I don't know, on air or not, but she's called it like Bishop Roulette. Like you don't know, you don't know if you're gonna get, you know, the look of the draw. So I would agree. And then also just certain things like the church has the money, so much money to provide like healthcare. It could have made and printed off, you know, masks and other prep care for nurses and doctors. Like it could have because Methuselah has said this, like they kind of swooped in with all these things. And like you explained, Methuselah explained this like whole plan about what the church could have done. And then, and then you're like, I'm just a normal person. Like I'm not even this high or high up church member, but I'm seeing, and I think we all saw as normal, mem- normal people, like what could have been and then what totally wasn't. So like, and this just, um, and I wrote this down because I think this is really important. Like this discussion that we're having right here is important because we were all involved in a volunteer organization in which we spent like a tremendous amount of time and physical and mental energy in, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no mechanism for like 
criticism or feedback that goes upwards like at all right mm -hmm. and like it's important to have a place where you can express these frustrations that your expectations haven't been met you know um and i think i think like when we're not able to because i don't know about you guys like i very much felt in our own church community that like you, like it's not your place to give advice or guidance about in any kind of upward direction at all right sure. um, and i'm a man and it's yeah <laughs> so, so for us we're like not even we're like seen and never heard it's sort of like i took this class in college called cultural paradigms and it was sort of like the ability to talk back to authority is detrimental to like okay so they use an example of this airline that had more plane crashes than any other airlines back in the 90s the airline has correct this and so i won't say what specific airline it was but their biggest problem was that the co-pilots would never tell the actual pilot when like the ship was going bad like i think you're flying low or like you're kind of headed towards some geese like they wouldn't feel comfortable telling the the main pilot like well you can't do this this is a bad idea and so then the planes would crash and sometimes be really really horrible and fatal this was kind of before my time but learned about it in my cultural paradigms class because oh no i have sirens in the background <laughs> i love my disease stream I know that it's like every time I might mute myself. Heard. Discuss <laughs> among yourselves while I mute, while I mute this. It's clearly an, a medical emergency outside. We're police chase. We don't know. It's siren. Well, honestly, that reminds me of how, like, if you look at other companies and other organizations, like when they mess up, they're like PR teams, like, and this, like, go on a whole campaign to like apologize and explain yourself. And, like, take responsibility and promise to do better and, like, you know, reach out to people that were injured or harmed or whatever, offended. Like, the church doesn't care to do any of that. They're like, we have that option always available and we're just not. We're going to gaslight instead. We're going to tell you that we didn't do it. We're not ever going to admit any sort of responsibility. We're perfect. We're great. You guys have the problem. What were you thinking? What were your ex Why did you want something different? What were you doing? Worry about yourself. What did you do during the pandemic? How were you helping your neighbor? It's not our job. Like it's a complete flip. And it's like they haven't learned from other mega corporations on like what to do and what not to do. Like they just don't give an F. Like they're like, we got money and members either way. So who cares? So, so <laughs> I think I can I can speak to this a little bit because. <laughs> Because I think Hinckley would not would have responded very differently, right? Um, I feel like church leadership when we were younger, with Hinckley and with Monson, because remember Monson was in charge of the uh, of the church's newspaper, like their propaganda arm, essentially, right? The Deseret <laughs> Industries. That's fair. Um, but like he was in charge of Desert Industries. He understands PR. He understands like marketing. They understand like a lot of that stuff. And so I think their response would have been a very different to the one we have. The ever since, I mean, ever since I think dementia started with uh, Monson, there's kind of been a shift to kind of dispassionate corporate 
like I want to say, I mean, like with the with the stuff that's come out recently with Ensign Peak and how they shuffled their money around, it it looks kind of like not money laundering, but money hiding. Actually, and it's kind of like yeah, kind of money laundering, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, not give up. Not something like that. I mean the it's not it's not that the money was gotten illegally, it's that the money needs to be shuffled around to minimize tax payout of taxes. But I would say illegally, but that's just because I'm an ethical person. <laughs> Continue as you were, as you were. <laughs> but, but like I don't think, like, I think the response would have been different with the leadership, the tone of the leadership, like when we were younger, you know? That's Some, true. There there has been recent shifts. I kind of feel like ever since the internet's kind of broken, it's kind of like caused more of a defensive posture. The past several years, even before the, before the pandemic, there have been kind of like a real defensive stance, you know, from messages from leadership about, you know, staying away from harmful information and that kind of things and then the pandemic hits and we can talk into like i think like why the the pandemic was a real like shelf breaker or turning point for a lot of people but sure. i don't think they were prepared for it at all and f for whatever cause they just stood at it like a deer in the headlights <laughs> they just they just frozen like, you know what I mean? What, what, what? I like, the, the only the only functioning the only functioning part that could actually respond like aggressively to like things playing out in the future was their investment arm, which you can talk about a little bit, Sam, if you want. <laughs> they did pretty well over the pandemic. They 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 made lots of money in their stocks and investments from during the pandemic. I don't see how that could possibly motivate and drive their decisions in any way. <laughs> money would why would why would the money they're making navigate any of the proceeded? The church doesn't care about money. What are you guys talking about? They they care about people. They care about changing the world. You no, know? Well, they need they need a lot of money, Sam, because the millennium is going to happen. Right, the apocalypse. And, apocalypse and, is coming, and he and needs have lots to, of coin. <laughs> I mean, they're going to have in order to survive. In order, have, in order to survive, yeah. the nuclear fallout. You know, yeah, we need these temples to have the eight grand a piece windows to withstand the floods and the fires and the zombies. So. <laughs> Oh my yeah, god. Summer, do you want to share like your light bulb moment with the pandemic? Oh my god, so <laughs> many. I would brought that up very Magdalene. Um, so a little heavenly mother here. I so I was slowly but surely losing my faith, but like really struggling for years. And I would like pray for signs. And so any thought anytime something positive would happen with a Mormon or with church, I would be like, oh, that's my little nugget to stay in. Like that'll that'll keep me. But it was causing a lot of um, cognitive dissonance as well as what would be like somatic symptoms. So I started getting like really bad stomach pains and like, you know, diarrhea on Saturday nights that would kind of interrupt my me going to church. And one time I had a panic attack and I never had one before. And I would get panic attacks late at night on Saturday night. And if I would think about church and I would think about like my faith issues, et cetera. So big, big light bulb moments. Um, I was staying in because of fear. 
and I was watching a lot of cult like stuff. The first cult show was Scientology in the aftermath. And so I kind of was in this place where I was like, okay, the cult, it, the, the church is cult light, but I can make it work or I can make it better or wanting to change it from the inside. And then I was with my now husband at the time and he was pretty, I would say silently struggling, but there were like little signs because we weren't doing churchish stuff, if that makes sense. Like we weren't like reading our scriptures and we weren't, um, paying tithing and things like that but I remember my bishop calling me to check in on me at the beginning of the pandemic and I had anxiety that the bishop called me I didn't want to talk to him and I just I didn't like in communicating with the bishop it literally gave me anxiety so during the pandemic where we couldn't go to church and we weren't doing it virtually I would try to be in communication with the missionaries because I got really involved with the missionaries um, for a long time but just having that absence having it removed from me like I was just so much happier I was so much better and I didn't feel this pressure to check all the boxes and then I guess like big shelf moments would have been that conference how you know rusty is he's called on ice department and read it was you admitted over the pulpit like we wouldn't say this coming I was like weird because it's your job to see the future but okay um and then seeing how all the talks were like ill ir irrelevant and there are also other things going on during the pandemic too that were like absolutely huge psychologically sociologically etc and that was a black lives matter movement um and seeing how the church responded like to eh, something that was like it was a it was a huge problem. It's been a problem for a long time, and it really picked up at the time of the pandemic for awareness for non-black um, people to be aware of this issue that the black community has known for quite some time. And everybody else was like, <laughs> little uh, ostriches with their heads in the sand. Um, so the church's responses to those two things, um, as well as a cognitive dissonance, and then the pandemic started to ease up, and I got a new job. And I told my fiance at the time, I was like, I really need to read this book called Combating Cult Mind Control because I need, I really need to know what I'm in. How deep is this? How cult-like is this institution? Like, I don't, I don't know. So basically, it was seeing the church not only be unhelpful in global issues, but seeing it be harmful like, it just made me angry, it made me let down, it made me disappointed. And I think it made me get out faster, because I think it was inevitable, but it sped up the process. Like, did, just pandemic. You go, sorry. Yes, did, you see, did you see harm um, during the pandemic? Yes, because there, the inaction led to, I think, a lot of... Okay, well, here's here's an example of the harm. Bednar... David Bednar was pushing for and heavily advocating for churches to meet in person. Even though him and his constituents, his little co-workers, his little elite up top were not, they were socialized, socially isolating, but they were encouraging little normal members to congregate. And I lived in an area, I was in Oklahoma already by that time, we had 
a lot of losses in this part of the country. I mean, everywhere did, but like rural America really suffered. And not all of Oklahoma is super rural, but a majority of it is. And he was just like beating that home. Like he was just punching that to death, that idea. And so I did see harm. And then I saw members bandwagon off of it. Sorry, you go. You say something. Well, I was going to say, I actually noticed it play out differently depending on the, each congregation in our own stake. Ooh. Like, depending on the bishop, depending on, like, regions, depending on the stake, I think. Like, different people had different policies on how much they were meeting or what configuration they were meeting or if they had online stuff or if they didn't have online stuff. Like, that was actually pretty significant difference depending on which ward. And it's just like, depending on how much, you know, the political beliefs of the leaders, you know, how much they respect different things, you know, we're, we're close to you, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a certain, uh, certain anti-science stance, you yeah. know, in kind of like our part of the country. And, you know, we're in a city like a metro area. So you have pockets of people who are like educated and more liberal than you have people who are like pretty conservative all within the same stake. And so we noticed kind of like shifts even from ward to ward. That does also remind me something that happened during the pandemic was my tolerance for certain ideologies within members went down. And we're not a political podcast. So I'm not trying to say that, but there were certain movements and certain events that were going on from about 2019 all the way into 2021, 2022, basically. And seeing people's like just out and about loud prejudices, issues, people let their like true colors shine, I guess you could say. And so I had to delete, not had to, but I wanted to, I deleted like 80% of the members on my Facebook and just cut them out of my life because I was like, I can't be, it's, it was, I couldn't be affiliated. It was too much. It was too much. And they'd fight with each other on, on posts about racism. And I was like, this is bad. Like I saw the church be super harmful and I saw church leadership not have a handle on it. I mean, I, I think the pandemic across the board was kind of a pressure cooker for people's beliefs in general. You know, I think I observed a lot of people become politically active in interesting ways that they weren't before. And part of that's just because everyone's cooped inside for, you know, an extended period of time. Ooh, I did think of a good self shelf moment that was like really hitting in like a spiritual way. But I was thinking about, almost like a little existential crisis kind of and the mormon idea of heaven brought me no comfort that plan in the afterlife and i expounded actually the christian notion commonly christian so there's so many different denominations also didn't give me comfort but the part the peace the religion the philosophy that did was actually buddhism Uh, more specifically like eastern buddhism or zen buddhism but it like filled my little soul. And then I also got more connected with like um, more indigenous spirituality, more nature, more like existential in a connected way. Um, And that was like just the biggest, that was probably the moment 
happened in the shower, staring at a little shower curtain. I just had this like huge rush rush of peace after I looked up and looked into Zen Buddhism and the view of suffering and the view of the afterlife. And it made sense to me and it clicked for me. And I'm not a member of that faith or like prescribed to any particular religion, but there are aspects about it, including the way that you live your life that gave me peace. And it was just, it was too eye-opening to be like, oh my God, I'm part of something that doesn't even benefit me. This, this faith doesn't give me peace. Well, and I was going to say, because I'm in a myth-faith marriage situation mm -hmm. um, and I'm handling it pretty well. And from my perspective, there was a real need for spiritual nourishment, I guess, or comfort or, or some yeah. sort of, like there really was a need, I think. People really were reaching. Or losing loved ones, yeah. People were confronted with a lot of their darkest fears, you mm -hmm. know. Um, everyone is like super stressed, way more than normal. And I think there was a big need for kind of like spiritual development in our, our our own home you know my wife and i actually sat down and just started doing spiritual lessons where we connected on things we have in common you know um values spirituality whatever not dictated by the church like we you know took that opportunity to not really follow the manual and just kind of like have discussions with each other and our kids. your own family, yeah. Well, and because there was that vacuum, you know, we just filled it with stuff for us, you know. And even though I don't think it was necessarily like I, I was already far gone at that point, but, but like it was a space that was filled with new, different ideas spiritually, right? Than than what was just coming down from the church, because what was coming down in this like intense time was like largely like nothing. Um, yeah, literally nothing. Like people were desperate for answers, for comfort, for peace, and like physically weren't able to be with a lot of their family and friends. And then you turn to a, a religion that's not even sending messages, not even helping others, not providing aid, not, I mean, I think it was an eye opener and I, relate to summer like one of my big shelf breaking items is when I realized like the plan of salvation sounds horrible like that <laughs> doesn't sound like heaven to me like that's not what I want I don't want to just have a bunch of babies for a billion years and my husband can have other wives potentially I can't have other husbands and like we get dominion over a world like I don't want dominion over someone else I don't want to run worlds I don't like that doesn't sound like I just want to be with my family or I'm accepting of there's nothing like I want to be in a like I don't want to be in a position where I pretend to know what the afterlife is but it was really eye-opening when it's like this religion that I believe my whole life the afterlife doesn't even sound good like that doesn't even sound comforting appealing ideal like uh, that's what I'm holding out hope for. And it's not even good. Like half of these people, you won't get to like, it's just, it's the Mormon heaven is so rigid and so narrow. And, um, if that's all you're faced against in this like mortality, I think that was really impactful for me too. Yeah. I, I think because of the pandemic, 
you know, because you're thinking about death more, you know, just kind of like more often than you were previously, right? You know, on the note of members suddenly kind of having to do their own thing and succeeding or failing, right, at varying levels, listening to earlier parts of this same episode, like, I think I was a little bit charged with a little bit of indignant energy, but I do want to express some genuine, like, sympathy and kind of some, it's unfortunate that there are members at the local level who really go above and beyond um, when it comes to like the pandemic and the response, right? Because I am aware of individuals who really did pull out all the spots. For me, in the position that I was in, it was really disappointing. And I felt like I almost like have to feel disappointed for them due to the lack of like support they got from, you know, anything above like the stake level. You know, right. It was such like a mixed bag for so many people. And it was such a letdown, you know, kind of like we mentioned earlier. Um, and it's not these and it's not these poor people's fault, you know. Lol, exactly. The members are victims. We're never when we come hard and we roast and we get roasty toasty. It's not for the actual individual. Bless their heart members. It's literally for the institutions and the people who have power trips and like the harm. Like it's not the you know, the average small communities and small wards and small stakes. For me, the pandemic was a real crystallization where I saw the dichotomy very, like, like very clearly, where it's like, oh, this is the local, what the members are trying to do, what the local community is doing, and then here's the large corporate. Right, they're very separate. They're very me. separate. And their response and the amount of compassion that they showed and the amount of time and money that was spent making sure people were okay was so dichotomous that I think like just that broke a lot of people's shells. Right. 